0: The Moth is brought to you by Progressive, home of the Name Your Price tool. You say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. It's easy to start a quote. Visit Progressive.com to get started. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Calling all educators. Join the Moth this summer for the Virtual Moth Teacher Institute. We're not your average teacher training. Forget what you think you know about professional development. At MTI, we're all about infusing your classroom with the magic of storytelling. MTI is for 5th to 12th grade teachers, whether you're looking to fine-tune your strategies or you're a curious newcomer eager to learn more about Moth Storytelling. Picture this, a new community of teachers all over the country. Vibrant discussions, engaging activities, live storytelling shows, access to moth curriculum, and so much more. This summer, MTI will take place from August 5th to the 9th. Applications close on June 23rd. Visit themoth.org forward slash MTI to apply today. Welcome
1: to The Moth Podcast. I'm Kate Tellers, your host for this week. Sometimes faith or a belief in some higher power can help people to accept things they can't fully explain. Religious teachings and rituals guide those who believe in them through difficult moments, especially moments of loss. But what happens when customs are questioned and traditions are at odds with the expectations of modern life? This week, we hear two stories from storytellers who confronted the dichotomy of old and new head-on. Our first storyteller this week is Iman Ahmed. Iman told this at a showcase in New York City where the theme of the night was Across the Divide. Here's Iman live at the Moth.
2: So I'm standing in the parking lot of a mosque in Long Island and I'm watching my mom debate taking one or two blood pressure pills. She cranes her neck down the street looking for a hearse, uh, but it doesn't show. Uh, She takes both the pills. Uh, I'm at my dad's funeral, and uh, he's not there. Uh, And I don't know where he is, which is weird, because for the past three years, I've always been by his side. My daddy had polycythemia vera. It's a type of blood cancer where your body makes too many red blood cells and your blood can clot. Um, He struggled with his illness for way more years than his doctors expected. Uh, I didn't realize how bad it was until one day I came home from a fashion magazine internship And uh, I walked down the hallway, my stilettos click-clacking down the hall, and uh, I found him, uh, my protector in this life, who taught me how to box and uh, who held my hand when I crossed the street. He was lying on the kitchen floor, unable to get up. And uh, seeing him like that, so defenseless and alone, it traumatized me. So I exchanged my high heels for sneakers, and uh, at 23, I became his caregiver. Um, On the days when we didn't go to the hematologist and remove like a half liter of his blood, uh, we'd go take walks. Um, And I would walk behind him like a paranoid shadow, uh, waiting to catch his thin frame if he fell. And when it was too cold out, we'd go to the gym, and uh, I'd strap his feet into the bike pedal, and uh, give him some space, and I'd go walk on the treadmill, but I had to choose the one with the mirror in front of it so that I could watch him behind me. Uh, My neighbors, especially the elderly ones, told my dad he was so lucky to have such a good daughter, and that was something I wrapped myself with, that title. Especially, it was hard, especially when I saw my friends get married and go to grad school, their lives moving forward while I stood still. Uh, I couldn't take the looks of like pity on their faces, so I avoided contact with them for, and just saw them less and less and went out less and less. Um, months passed without incident. And my dad, he wasn't really thrilled like my neighbors about me being such a good daughter. Uh, he was the head of the house and what he said goes. So the street lights are on, you better be home. You got a 95 on the test, go study. Mm-hmm. Skirt too short, don't even think about going. He was a, a social, charismatic guy and he had this thick head of gray, fluffy hair that women would literally stop him on the street to touch. (laughs) And me following behind him was kind of cramping his style. (laughs) This this life isn't really what he wanted for me. Uh, There was like a power shift that happened because he was always in control, but as he got sicker, he didn't really want to accept his decline. There were canes and walkers in my house that just went untouched in the closet. So I became even more paranoid. And the, I realized there were so many things that I had taken for granted, like playing music on my headphones, or closing my bedroom door, or just leaving him alone. Months passed without incident and um, I kind of just like was fed up watching all the family reruns on Tuesday afternoons. So I got a part-time job at a real estate company as a receptionist and uh, my first day I put on my high heels once again and I just, I felt normal. I was so happy when I got back because I actually had a day to talk about. I get to my building and my doorman, he sees me and he's like, oh, your dad just left. And I looked at him, like, he was new, so I was like, I think he's mistaking me for somebody else. He doesn't know who my dad actually is. He's like, no, the ambulance just took him. And uh, my family, they didn't want to ruin my day by telling me my dad had a mini-stroke. He was fine. We were eating sushi the next day. But I felt like somebody ripped that good daughter wrap right off of me. Uh, He never actually told me that, he wanted me around, Um, and I didn't really realize that he appreciated me until we had uh, kind of a hard day where we saw a nephrologist, a hematologist, and worst of all, a mechanic. Uh, (laughs) I, I I was helping him into bed, and his weight was leaning on me, and he was surprised at how securely I held him. I was pulling up the comforter over him. And uh, he looks at me, and he says, Iman, you're strong. Uh, and I knew in that moment that he, he, he appreciated that I was there. Um, I, I, I didn't say anything except I love you after I ran my hands through his soft hair. Uh, two more years had passed, and uh, we kept taking walks and going to the gym and watching Archie Bunker berate the meathead. Until one day, a few months before my 26th birthday, my dad fell, and I wasn't there to catch him. Uh, He was in a coma for three weeks, and uh, my family, we broke up the day into shifts, and I took the night shift. So I would put my headphones in his ear and play Frank Sinatra's My Way, which was his favorite song, hoping the lyrics would wake him up. It didn't work, and uh, the doctors, they called the time of death at 7.52 a.m. And uh, at 7.53, the countdown for his funeral began because uh, Muslims have to be buried the same day they die. Uh, And uh, the hospital didn't really understand the urgency of the situation, and I really didn't either until my mom looked at my dad and was like, don't let him be put in the fridge. And uh, I knew that it didn't matter, that we didn't plan, he had to be buried today, this had to get done. Muslim Funerals 101, don't wait till your dad dies to plan the funeral. So what do you need for a funeral? You need uh, a Muslim funeral home to prepare the body for burial. You need uh, a Muslim cemetery space to be buried in. You need friends who will pray for your dad uh, and to hug you when you cry. So uh, we spent uh, time just trying to get all these things done. And uh, eight hours later, there I am back in the parking lot, no idea where my dad is, calling the driver. uh, Calls going straight to voicemail. And uh, my mom and I are just like heartbroken. I'm watching her with these blood pressure pills. And I have no idea where my dad is in the 60 miles between my queen's apartment and the only Muslim cemetery in New York. And he has to be buried today. But it turns out that cemeteries have hours of operation. And uh, the cemetery closes at 5. It's 4 o'clock. And uh, the cemetery director is like, You know, I think we need to do this another day. <laughs> uh, and just one look at my mom, I knew she couldn't take another day of burying her husband for uh, 30 years. Um, so I tell her, You know what? We're on the way. Uh, just, uh, we're, we're like so close. And uh, I guess I'm not a good liar because she's like, you know, I think we, we need to cancel your father's funeral. <laughs> and I'm like, no, before you before do that, I will pay $500 to keep the men there who will bury my father another hour. And uh, she talks to them and they agree to my bribe. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the hearse finally arrives And after a quick service where I pray that everything works out in my father's favor when he meets his maker, um, we head over to the cemetery. And uh, the call to prayer, the same one that he whispered in my ear when I was born, is being recited. And uh, once again, for one last time, I'm walking behind my dad.
1: That was Iman Ahmed. Iman is an Egyptian-American writer. Her play Band premiered off-Broadway in September 2021 at Theatre Row. She has participated in multiple writing fellowships, including the Writers Guild Initiative, where she was selected to have her one-act plays read at their annual star-studded gala. In addition to her writing, Iman created the first-ever database of Arab-American screenwriters. To see a photo of Iman at the Moth Ball, head to the extras for this episode on our website, themoth.org extras. Our next storyteller is William Newer. William told this at a story slam in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis-St. Paul, where the theme of the night was Mama Rules. Here's William live at the Moth.
3: Good evening. So, I was in third grade at uh, Sisters of Nazareth Catholic School in Haifa in Palestine, and we were preparing for uh, First Communion, and our Father Augustine, our parish priest, came to see us at the school, and he told me that I was not ready to go through First Communion maybe next year. I went home and told Mom, and she was livid. Next Sunday after church, she cornered him in the office. I was standing by her side as her deputy. <laughs> and she said, uh, Father Augustine, why is my son not going through First Communion with the rest of his classmates? I'm a little nervous. <laughs> and uh, he said, looked at me and he said, Oh, he's not ready. Uh, not all fruit ripens at the same time. And she said, oh, but all fruit equally are nourished by the same tree at the same time. And then he looked at her and said, well, you give your baby milk, and then when it gets teeth, you give it bread. She said, teeth? You should see the way he eats at home. I can't keep up with him. He is ready. I stood there wondering why they were talking about me but talking about food. And she said, well, tell me, uh, Father, why is he not ready? He said, he does not understand the mystery of transubstantiation. He doesn't know what communion is. And he looked at me with a piercing look, and he said, who puts Jesus in the bread, my son? Who puts Jesus in the bread? I was going, who puts Jesus in the bread? And I looked at mom, she said, God puts Jesus in the bread. Who else? And he looked at her, and he said, the priest, my daughter, puts Jesus in the bread when he prays over it. And she mumbled something about God has nothing to do with it, of course. And then she looked at me and she goes, oh, Okay. Ruffled my hair and said, He knows it. Don't you know it, honey? He knows it. Can he go through First Communion? So, uh, two Sundays later, I was at church, kneeling there, all scrubbed up. Angelic looking with a bow tie that I had hated. She had loved it. And... Uh, I was so excited and scared, like everybody else, all my friends around me. And we were like, oh, we're going to eat the blood and, and drink, the, uh, uh, eat, drink the blood and eat the, drink the wine of uh, Jesus. <laughs> and then we were so scared, like, I'm scared right now. And, and she... <laughs> and uh, so... We had it, and, and it's like, oh, my God, what's all the fuss? It's like cardboard. <laughs> so uh, and then I start to think, if Father Augustine could put Jesus in the bread just by praying over it for a few seconds, how much more was, was Mother doing in the kitchen for hours and on end? <laughs> so I started to sneak into the kitchen just to see what she was up to. One day, I was tiptoeing in there, and I s- tripped on this box. It had hairy legs with hooves and a jumbled mess of intestines. I think it still had some shit in them. And so, I look uh, on the stove, there was a big vat bubbling steam coming out. And there's mother, her hair tied up. And I must have startled her because she turned around with a big kitchen knife and screamed! Ah! And then I started to scream because I saw, right? When she moved, there was a the head of an animal on the counter. She must have skinned it. The teeth were showing. <laughs> And ears were cut off, and she was gouging the eyes. I thought, what kind of sorcery is this woman into? And I'm like, Father Father Augustine was praying Jesus into the bread. Who was she praying into that food? Whose body and blood have we been lapping up at the table all these years? I'm like, what is that book on the table? Is it magic? Remember, I was eight. I'm like, and wait, wait. Was she working for the dark side? Where is that, where is that part of the animal that normal people eat? So, flash forward, 50 some odd years. I'm at home here in Minneapolis, digging in the back of the freezer. And I find this bag and I look at it, it's like, oh my God, Easter date cookies. <laughs> oh, oh my God, these are the ones mom made, like and brought it to me two years before she died. They've been in the freezer, and I thought, oh, I'm not going to eat them. I'll take them to my brother's house. I won't tell him." (laughs) At my brother's house, he's making Arabic coffee, and I take the bag out, put it on the table. He goes, you made Easter cookies? Oh, my God, Easter cookies, I love these. And he goes, oh, mm. mom, 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 you, you made these? Mom, tastes like mom's. I said, yeah. And then he started to cry, and I started to cry, and I thought, Oh, my God, that's what First Communion should feel like and taste like. And uh, still teary-eyed. Well, uh, two years in the freezer, remember, still tastes like her cookies. What <laughs> magic is that? So, sh- so he, uh, he takes two cookies and he walks to his unsuspecting uh, boys, two of them slouched on the couch watching cartoons, nine- and eight-year-old Tarek and Malik. And he says, boys, take these, eat them. Tita made them, remember her? Tarek shot off the couch, he's like, Tita's dead. <laughs> so yes, Tita is dead, but every year at Easter time, we resurrect her memory and we bring out down her uh, recipes and, and pray her into her favorite cookies.
1: That was William Noor. William is a Palestinian Arab born in Nazareth. He grew up in Haifa, where he attended Sisters of Nazareth Catholic School. He moved to the U.S. and graduated with a B.A. in English at Augustana University in South Dakota. William is an actor, poet, doombeck drummer, birdwatcher, and gardener. He lives in Minneapolis with his husband of 26 years. His father taught him to read and to love, his mother, everything else. To see some photos of William from his First Communion, head to the extras for this episode on our website, themoth.org slash extras. That's all for this episode. As we enter a month full of traditions for many of us, I hope yours bring you comfort, renewal, and connection. I'm off to dust off my Christmas sheet music, as my father has just sent out the part assignments for our caroling, and once again, I'm the Alto. <clears throat> All is calm, all is bright. From all of us here at The Moth, have a story-worthy week.
4: Kate Tellers is a storyteller, host, and director of Mothworks at The Moth. Her story, But Also Bring Cheese, is featured in The Moth's All These Wonders, True Stories About Facing the Unknown, and her writing has appeared on McSweeney's and in The New Yorker. This episode of The Moth Podcast was produced by Sarah Austin Jeunesse, Sarah Jane Johnson, Julia Purcell, and me, Davey Sumner, with assistance from Jason Richards. The rest of The Moth's leadership team includes Catherine Burns, Sarah Haberman, Jennifer Hickson, Meg Bowles, Kate Tellers, Jennifer Birmingham, Marina Kluche, Suzanne Rust, Brandon Grant, Inga Gladowski, and Aldi Caza. All Moth stories are true as remembered by storytellers. For more about our podcast, information on pitching your own story, and everything else, visit our website, themoth.org. The Moth Podcast is presented by PRX, the public radio exchange, helping make public radio more public, at prx.org. Support for The
1: Moth comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com moth. That's odoo.com moth.